This is the Darcy Giroux Podcast, episode 21. Today my guest is Franco Terrazano from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We'll be talking about government employees getting undeserved pay increases and bonuses during the pandemic. Franco Terrazano. Welcome back to the Darcy Drill Podcast. How are things? I'm doing well, man. Am I your uh, first repeat guest? Um, unfortunately, no. I've had a number of, ah. uh, yeah, a few. Uh, <laughs> Tim Moen's been on a number of times. Uh, Jacques Boudreau's been on a number of times. But I'm, uh, Corey Morgan was on a couple of times. But uh, I'm really glad to have you back, a, a, a regular at the Darcy Drill Podcast now. There you go. Yeah, we're on a streak now, right? That's two. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Okay, so the last time you were on, uh, we talked about the Bank of Canada, how they're destroying the, co- the economy, uh, making Canadians poorer, backstopping terrible fiscal policy in Ottawa and all of the provinces. And after all that, you guys, the Canadian Taxpayers Federa- Fed- Federation, uh, you guys find out that they're giving themselves a bunch of pay raises and bonuses throughout the pandemic while regular Canadians are suffering. <laughs> Can you explain to us what's going on here? Well, well, Darcy, you know, I, I can't believe I have to say this, but bonuses and pay raises are for when you do a good job. <laughs> and the Bank <laughs> of Canada hasn't been doing a good job. I mean, they actually have one job, and that's to keep inflation low and around 2%. And if you've been to the grocery store or gas station in the last year, heck, if you're just not living under a rock, you know that the Bank of Canada failed to do its only job. So then why are they turning around handing out $45 million in bonuses and pay raises to their failed central bankers? So we dug up this information. It's not online. We had to dig it up through an access to information requ- request directly to the Bank of Canada. And the $45 million in bonuses and pay raises, that's for the years 2020 and 2021. And Darcy, why that really matters is first, in 2020, their neighbors in the private sector were taking it on the chin. We're losing their job, we're taking big pay cuts, or heaven forbid, maybe even lost their business. But then in 2021, they absolutely failed. Right. They had nine consecutive months where CPI was above three percent. So in no world can these bankers, central bankers, justify the bonuses and pay raises that they gave themselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, throughout 2020 and 2021, I mean, it's obvious that we were in uh, some sort of recession, whether it was, you know, manufactured because of the covid thing or whatever. I mean, there was not uh, any production happening. It's hard for, like you say, like the all, all the regular Canadians were suffering, taking it on the chin. Now, you've written a number of articles on this, and it's not just the Bank of Canada that's been doing this. The, I mean, the federal government gave out something like $170 million in bonuses throughout the pandemic. Can you give us some more details on that? 
Yeah, that was for the department bureaucrats. So the Bank of Canada is a crown corporation, a federal crown corporation. The $171 million in bonuses were for like the department bureaucrats. And this is what really drives me nuts. Okay, obviously, the pandemic, the tale of two downturns, where you have the private sector taking it on the chin, then you have government employees, bureaucrats, politicians, really having financial gain throughout this whole pandemic. That's the obvious. But here's what is really frustrating. They handed out over $100 million in bonuses to these bureaucrats, and they failed to meet their own objectives. They failed to meet their own performance targets. Uh, I, like, man, like you've worked in the private sector. You've always worked in the private sector as long as I know. Uh, what happens when you fail to meet your objectives, Darcy? You get shown the door. You don't get shown a big bonus check. But I just want to get back to – can I just get back to the Bank of Canada for one second yes, here? Because please, yeah. there's a lot – yeah, there's a lot to dive into. And I just want to address this. Uh, well, isn't it a global problem? Right? Let's just shrug it off. It's a global problem. What could these central bankers have done? Now, last time on the show, I dove into the theoretical arguments – about the global problem, right? So listeners, listen back to that episode. It was a good one. I'm biased, but take a listen. Um, but let's let's talk about the actual empirical stuff, okay? So first of all, even if it is a global problem, that doesn't mean you get bonuses. That doesn't mean you get pay raises. At best, what, maybe not a pay cut, okay? But number two, yes, there were higher prices in other countries around the world, but comparatively, Canada did not do very well. Now, the International Monetary Fund, they have data for 35 industrialized countries, our peers. And in 2021, only three of those countries had higher inflation than Canada. So sure, global issue, global problem, but even among our global peers, Canada did not do good on inflation. And therefore, there's absolutely no way that the Bank of Canada should be handing out pay raises and bonuses. And one last thing is that you actually had the deputy governor of the Bank of Canada acknowledge that they failed to meet their own inflation targets. He acknowledged that the Bank of Canada should be held accountable. Well, that's a pretty funny way to hold your organization accountable, isn't it? To go hand out bonuses and pay raises for failing to do your only job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, with the Bank of Canada, it's obvious... Uh, you know, what their mandate and their target is. Some of these other federal uh, bureaucracy stuff that we're talking about where these guys are getting bonuses, you mentioned that they haven't met their targets. Can you give us an example of that? Oh, yes. Our friends at the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation comes to mind. They are no stranger to the taxpayer cookie jar. Uh, another federal crown corporation, this organization has one overarching objective go onto their website and it says a, a housing affordability for all that's their overarching objective well darcy and your listeners our friends out there do you think that they failed to meet the objective of a housing affordability for all in 2020 housing prices skyrocketed in 2021 housing prices skyrocketing so you're probably thinking that these bureaucrats at the CMHC took a pay cut, right? Or were held accountable. Well, wrong. Just like the Bank of Canada, they handed out nearly $60 million in bonuses and pay raises. So explain to me in what world other than the clown world that we apparently are living in, does it make sense for a federal crown corporation to be patting itself on the back when its only objective is housing affordability, and when Canadians can't afford to actually get into a home. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the stories I remember looking at was the Trudeau government had all these boutique initiatives through the CMHC for different uh, minority groups to get into home ownership, and they equaled around $100 million, I think. Um, this was between 2020 and 2021. And, and I mean, I agree with the, the sentiment, like it's a good thing. You want people to get into these, uh, you want, you want to people to have home ownership, but when you take a closer look at it and you, and you see that, uh, you know, the CMHC handed out $48 million in bonuses in those same years, like when a crown corporation whose mandate is affordable housing, you know, for all has been, uh, you know, taking advantage of the taxpayer and fueling inflation for decades. It seems to me that uh, Canadians would simply be better off without these institutions. Um, but I know one thing you guys are looking at um, is what you is a sunshine list, similar to what the provinces have in place that publish this sort of data on a regular basis. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And and um, <laughs> I just want to say, right, $48 million in bonuses for the CMHC plus another $11 million in pay raises on top of that. So, uh, yeah, they're certainly having a, a good time over there at the CMHC while everyone else struggles to get into homes. Can we just stick on the homes for just a quick second here? Yeah. Um, now, look. <laughs> It's it, the Bank of Canada is really making it harder for the CMHC to uh, to meet its target, right? Because you, on the one hand, you have the Bank of Canada printing more than three hundred billion dollars out of thin air during the pandemic. So in what two years' time, buying government of Canada bonds and then dumping all that new dollars into the economy, right? So that pr raises the price of all goods and services, including homes. So the problem is you have the government essentially printing new dollars out of thin air, but the poor CMHC can't just go and print homes out of thin air, right? So you have this yeah. too many dollars chasing too few homes problem. But then there's another problem too. And, and uh, so we talked about the inflation, um, but the other problem with home prices is, is also just regulations. And obviously, I'm not just talking federal government. We're talking provincial, municipal government, property taxes, different development charges. I saw a study. It's, now, it's a little bit dated, uh, maybe five years ago, from the C.D. Howe Institute. So the, it's probably higher now. Um, but they calculated that a new home in Vancouver um, about $600,000 of the price comes from all these different regulatory charges from different levels of government. So over $600,000 adding on to the price of a new home in Vancouver. Again, um, that's a bit of an older study, so probably even higher than that. But uh, Darcy, uh, the question you asked about a sunshine list. Yeah, well, the actually. The majority if, of provinces. But sorry, Franco. It, just one more thing on the housing thing, too. I was just reading this morning, and I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, but uh, Trudeau has come up with some plan for another $2 billion to subsidize home ownership in some kind of rent-to-own scheme, which again means printing money and house prices rising, and it means tax su taxpayers subsidizing mortgages through inflation. Um, ultimately, it means subsidizing the banks because they're the ones that actually stand to profit from this. Have you had a chance to look at that plan yet? No, sorry. This is the first time that I'm hearing about it. You know, I've been busy today because today has been the uh, the introduction of the luxury tax. 
Hey, I don't know if you've seen this or if your listener have seen this, but look, Darcy, I, I got a few comments on the luxury tax. Like, number one, I don't, I, I, I don't, if you have enough money to have a fancy car, a fancy private plane, a, a nice yacht, all the power to you. That's awesome. Hopefully we can hang out next summer because I'd love to get on a lake on a boat. Now, I don't begrudge anyone for working hard and becoming successful. That being said, I'm also not going to lose that much sleep over people who pay more money through tax. Like That's not the real reason I'm concerned about a luxury tax. Obviously, we don't want them to pay more taxes, but that's not what I'm losing sleep about. What I'm losing sleep over with a luxury tax are the middle class Canadians who are going to lose their job as the people who can afford these goods and services decide to not spend as much money in those industries. We saw this actually in the United States. In 1991, you had Bush Sr. bring in a luxury tax, a bunch of different luxury taxes. By 1993, about two years later, you had President Bill Clinton scrap almost all of the luxury taxes because it led to 25,000 lost jobs in the boat building industry. I've seen some economists say there was another 75,000 job losses on top of that in other industries that supplied these yacht manufacturers. So we're talking about tens of thousands of job losses in the United States because of the luxury tax. So I am so concerned that Canada's luxury tax, not only is it going to tax the higher earners, but who's really going to pay for the luxury tax are the Canadians who are going to end up losing their jobs. So that's why I've been so busy today and, and haven't been able to, to, to look at what you're just talking about. Yeah. Well, no, that's, uh, I had, I actually thought that luxury tax was in place already, but, uh, I guess it was announced earlier and, and it, and it's effective as of today. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So let's get in. That's correct. Yep. It, it just came into effect today, September the 1st. Now let's talk about the, uh, the sunshine list. Yes, so let's. The vast majority, the vast majority of provinces have a sunshine list. It's only Quebec and Prince Edward Island that don't. And a sunshine list is really government transparency and accountability 101. Taxpayers pay the bills. We deserve to see how many six figure bureaucrats are on the government payroll. Now, the federal government doesn't have a sunshine list. So what we had to do is we had to file access to information requests to find out just how many employees at the federal level are receiving $100,000 or more in an annual salary. Now, what we found is quite startling. Turns out there are now 114,000 federal government bureaucrats who are receiving at least six figures, and that means that there are now 45,000 more federal government bureaucrats receiving $100,000 in annual salary than there were before the pandemic. Yeah, that 45,000 <laughs> more than there were pre-pandemic. Yeah, it's it is it's scary how, you know, I get we can be thankful that you guys are looking into this for us because without it this information actually just doesn't come into the the public view, right? Um now Tell me a bit more, like, I'm curious about these uh, access to information requests, you guys. How how difficult are they and how, like, do you run into a lot of stumbling blocks when you're trying to look for this sort of stuff? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, on some things, yes. On some things, no. Uh, it really just depends. It depends on what we're looking for. It also, like, quite frankly, depends on the analyst that we're dealing with. Right. Like it's it's so funny. But I think when we all talk about government institutions, we t we tend to take such a high level view of things. Right. Especially the Austrians who are looking at incentives and and, and institutional structures. Right. But it, it, it really 
I mean, a part of Austrian economics is to remember human agency and the individual, and it really does depend on who you're dealing with. So let me give you an example. Um, we asked for the, the number of federal government employees that received at least one pay raise during the lockdowns. There were over 300,000 federal employees that received at least one raise. Uh, guess how many employees got a pay cut? Yep, it's a number that you can roll home. A big fat zero federal government employees received a pay cut. More than 300,000 received a pay raise, while everyone else in the private sector absolutely took it on the chin. Okay, so we're dealing with a few of analysts on that one request. Uh, it was very easy to get the 300,000 number, but they put up roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, preventing us from finding out how much those pay raises cost. So it's, it's so difficult to tell um, what exactly you're going to get, how much of a struggle it's going to be. Let me give you another one. So Bill C-48, your friends in Alberta, my family in Alberta know Bill C-48 well. It's the, it's the discriminatory tanker ban on the West Coast. Now, the government never released its economic analysis of the legislation. I wonder why. So we, or, or we put in an ATIP, back in 2018, or there was a researcher, I should say, that put in an ATIP back in 2018 to get the economic analysis. Still haven't gotten the economic analysis from Transport Canada. Uh, the information commissioner actually ruled that Transport Canada should be forced to provide the economic analysis. Transport Canada essentially said, well, go pound sand. So now the CTF, we're going to be taking the government to court for failing to abide by the information commissioner's ruling to re release these documents that were originally requested back in 2018. That's, uh, well, I'm glad you guys are doing that. Um, but let's, I mean, so I guess the real question is, how do they get away with it? There doesn't seem to be any mechanism to hold these crown corporations and bureaucracies accountable other than, you know, people going to the polls every four years, which... Um, doesn't again doesn't it doesn't directly hold these things accountable how do we hold these people accountable look i think that is the biggest question of today um i did we were on a national debt clock tour i think we talked about it last time we we're on the show but essentially we went coast to coast showing canadians how much federal how much debt there is federally right over a trillion bucks going up by more than a thousand bucks a second and Outside of just people commenting on the clock, the biggest comment that I got was that people feel like they lack the tools to hold their politicians accountable. Now, there are obviously institutional, legislative, legal limits that you can put on government, right? You can have balanced budget legislation. You can have spending restrictions. You can have debt repayment laws. You can have recall legislation. You can have referendum rules. All of that help a ton. They help a ton. I mean, look what happened in Alberta, right? The Taxpayer Protection Act, no sales tax in Alberta. The balanced budget legislation that really forced the, the politicians' hands in the 90s. Recall legislation has worked well in British Columbia. So these laws help a lot. But they aren't a silver bullet. The only way that you're going to get real change out of government, out of these politicians, is if you have the masses um, really push back all the time. Keep up the pressure. You see a lot of people on the left doing it. Well, people who want smaller government also have to do it. You can't just put in a good law. You can't just elect one person you think is going to be good and then say, 
job is done. That's not how it works. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And this is something you and I have talked about before too, not on the show, but um, you know, it's not it's not always a a top down thing. Like like voting for the highest level of government seldom makes any of the changes that direct you or that uh, impact a person on a day to day type of scenario. But when you have people like working locally in their municipalities, putting pressure on local governments, even school boards, things like that, um, th- then you can affect some change and at, at least, you know, improve the quality of your service that you're paying your taxes for. Oh, well, we've had this conversation. And, and you know, when it comes to strategy, I'm continually evolving, not 100% certain on it. Like I like to read different thinkers and it's good, I think, to gain insight from everyone. I'm right now under the conclusion that you kind of just have to have different people doing different things. And like there is no one probably correct strategy and it probably comes down more to organization, right? People who actually do something rather than like just thinking about what's the best way. What is what is that quote that um, don't let great be the enemy of good? (laughs) <laughs> that probably that probably also has to do with um with with strategy advocacy and strategy but to your point i think you're you're totally right i mean before i moved to ottawa as the federal director i was the alberta director and uh, we worked a lot with stuff that was going on in calgary and if i could just give him some credit i mean former councillor jeremy farkas uh, you know like he day in day out held those other big spending counselors accountable. He was in the media all the time, raising awareness. Um, so I think he did a very good job. And, and I think he also deserves credit for uh, turning down that platinum-plated pension yeah. that those city councilors give themselves in Calgary. So I think he's a good example of someone who, who pushed on the local level. Um, but I think you're absolutely right that it's not just about going after the federal government or the provincial government, that especially when you consider all the services that actually impact people's day-to-day lives. A lot of that is just from your municipal government. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, we got about, uh, maybe 10 minutes left. What else, what else should we cover here? We kind of, oh, wow. we kind of, well, we, just... we ripped through everything I wanted to talk to real, <laughs> talk about real fast. Well, you're giving me, yeah, I mean, that's probably just because I like to ramble and speak quickly. But if there's one thing, I guess, which is a really an overview of our whole conversation is that when we talk about the pandemic, when we talk about lockdowns, I think one of the biggest issues is the tale of two pandemics, right? The tale of the two lockdowns where you had essentially, look, we always talk about classes, right? And and I know you know exactly where I'm going with this. And in mainstream, what is the class analysis? It's the businesses versus their workers, right? Well, the real class analysis, of course, or cast analysis is um, those who are the taxpayers and those who are the tax consumers, right? The makers versus the takers, those who sit behind the golden gates of government and those who are funding the wages of those who sit behind the golden gates of government. And we saw that um, just absolutely on full display during the pandemic. I remember the carnage of what was going on during the early days of 2020 when COVID-19 hit. And, and, and really, we see it in the data all throughout where, where so many people who worked for a business 
lost their jobs, took a pay cut, where those small business owners who may have done everything right their whole life, saving money away to fund their business, to get their neighbors a job, well, they may have lost their business for good. Many have, and and, and I'm sure many also um, really, really had to sacrifice. So throughout this whole time, we have seen absolutely no pain felt by the vast majority of government bureaucrats and politicians, whereas the people who are paying their salaries have taken it on the chin. And look at politicians. While you and yours struggled through all of this, your member of parliament gave themselves three pay raises. Darcy, the pay raises for members of parliament during the pandemic range from an extra 10,000 smackers for a backbencher all the way up to an extra $21,000 for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Like, if that doesn't feel like a slap in the face, and I don't know what is, but yeah. I guess just to reiterate, the real takeaway here is that there's been a tale of two pandemics, pain for the people in the private sector, and gain for the government bureaucrats and politicians who have been completely unscathed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I remember looking at a tweet of yours. Uh, I think it was Uh-oh. a tweet. And it was... Uh, and it was you heading to the gym right after an interview. So I, I just have to know, are you wearing pants right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm fully, I got, I got, uh, I got all my, uh, all my pants on. I mean, I could stand up. No, but, no, um, it's fine. I just, I mean, I mean, I can see your suit and tie. It looks good. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Hey, I had, I had uh, gym shorts on. So we, I was wearing pants, just maybe, uh, maybe not those covering my, uh, my calves. But the calves are fully covered today, Darcy. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> okay, right on. Now, so again, let's uh, let give the, let the listeners know uh, about uh, the Taxpayers Federation and and where to find you and your organization. Yeah, well, first, just thank you so much for inviting me on and letting me have this discussion with your audience. Uh, But we're the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We're the largest taxpayer organization in Canada. We've been around for over 30 years. Uh, Yeah, older than I've been around. (laughs) (laughs) But look, we, we fight for three very simple but very powerful ideals, which is lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. We've had many, many, many big wins all across Canada. Uh, Look, the Kenny government just scrapped bracket creep right? The sneaky backdoor income tax hike known as bracket creep. And there's been no other organization, not even close, fighting that thing the way we fought it. We fought it right away. We saw it right away in the 2019 budget, even after he promised not to raise taxes. And we've been hammering away along with thousands and thousands of our supporters who've done all the work, emailing these politicians. And finally, uh, he scrapped it. So this is what we've been doing for 30 years on different taxpayer issues. And if you'd like to learn more, please head over to taxpayer.com. Check out the newsroom where you can find out everything we're doing. We've got petitions that you can sign. You can also join the CTF free of charge just to get on our email action updates when we mobilize our supporters to actually push for change. And then uh, in addition to that, I mean, follow us, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just search either Canadian Taxpayers Federation or you can find me uh, at Franco underscore nomics. <laughs> okay. Perfect, Franco. Thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, cheers, man. Thanks for having me. That was Franco Terrazano. Follow him on Twitter at Franco underscore nomics. Check out taxpayer.com. And if you want to support the Darcy Giroux podcast, subscribe on Substack. <laughs>